Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I know a lot of you have been waiting for my finals preview. And uh, we're finally here. I have to admit that um, the last days have been very busy. A lot of off-season business and... Um, Trying to squeeze in some extra solo queue games before the season ends. Trying to climb. Finding. You know, coming to the realization that um, my rest period is soon over. Even though I haven't really, you know, not worked in quite some time. But um, I think on my end, I like being busy. And uh, I like League of Legends. And uh, we are currently looking ahead to the pinnacle of League of Legends. The World Championship Finals of 2020. The story of Suning and uh, Damwon from a gameplay perspective is, um, you know, their path to the point where they're at today, of course, is very different. But both of them are leading in a way where both of them have shown significant growth throughout the year. Damwon losing a best of five against DRX in spring. Achieving what I believe, if I remember correctly, correctly is what I was trying to say. They got fourth place in the LCK playoffs. And this was the one where T1 won against Genji in the final 3-0. It just seemed like business as usual. T1 ramping it up for playoffs and uh, demolishing whatever was in their way. I believe Dama was fourth, DRX was third, Genji was second, and then T1 first with uh, the 5th place team being KT. So if someone asked you at that time, thank you very much for the subscription. If someone asked you at that time, is Damwon going to become the team that for the LCK represents him in the final? Not a lot of people would say that they would be the ones. They made an upgrade in the AD carry position. They had a different coaching staff. It was very hard to imagine. At the time, it was just T1. DRX had some question marks too. Even coming into summer, Damon lost a best of three against DRX, ending 2-1. And uh, DRX seemed to be in a place where they were experimenting and uh, they were borderline, it looked like and came across to me as a competitor uh, against them that they were just trying to expand on their pools and uh, prepare for something greater. But DRX seemed to have never left this experimentational mode, which is quite interesting and uh, Deserves uh, its own conversation. But Damwon ramped up. And after playing them. 
and really, really being at the receiving end of a Damwon beating. It was very clear to me that regardless of the scoreline, even though DRX was ahead, that Damwon was the best team in our region. Damwon already back then showcased a lot of, you know, signs that they were aligned of what goals needed to be achieved in the game in order for them to succeed. We played, we had an Azir, they picked a Kassadin, and, uh, you know, to, of course, in isolation, this is a fine matchup for Kassadin, but all the moving pieces were truly matters. And we were one of the first teams that got to experience the Barrow Pantheon. And Pantheon pretty much carried Kassadin through the early game, and uh, uh, there was a set jungle too, I believe, and uh, they used everything in their power to get this Kassadin ahead. And then we got smashed with, in probably the quickest game, if well, one of the quickest games, all summer split long. And this is a story that has continued, a continued story of growth. Same thing for Sooning. Throughout summer, there was definitely a ramp up. There are playoff run ended against Top Esports, where they got 3 0 Top Esports had a significantly better bot lane to gain advantages naturally. Jackie Love was playing very, very well, and he was in form. And Bin, against 369 and Casa, they were very, very good at shutting down anything that Bin wanted to accomplish. Because Bin contained uh, is not the Bin that we've seen at the World Championship. But Suning's story of growth and improvement has continued. These are probably the only similarities besides them being in the finals that you can pull away from these two teams. Sure, you can go deep and talk about Oh, they both have a top lane, they both have idea, blah, blah, blah. I know you can get picky and, and annoying. For sure, there are some people in the comments that are going to do some silly, silly things like, yeah, well, they're both in Shanghai right now. They are both under the same roof. Uh, yeah, yeah, you do your thing. You do your thing. That's okay. I enjoy those comments. From a gameplay perspective, just holistically, before we go into deep matchup conversations. Sooning and their path, they've played against teams that like to put themselves in situations where you get skill checked. So what does it mean to be skill checked? You know? You know, there are a lot of variables that matter, but you know, draft, champions, game state, gold, everything. All, all these variable matters. But also individual skill and individual mechanics matter a lot. There are some certain dis dis situations that uh, are very decided by that alone. And usually, often, teams that are less macro-focused and uh, more, you know, playing on the gut feeling 
what feels right. And uh, this is something that is honed through experience from chasing, you know, uh, the absolute limit of how much you can do. This is what we saw from Sunni. This is also something that we saw from their opposition. JDG, Top Esports, G2. These are teams that we would be able to describe the same way. Very, very sometimes, you know, out-of-the-box gameplay. High activity, lower precision than, for example, a Damwon or a Team Liquid. Very, very high level of activity. A lot of fights that, uh, in hindsight, might seem silly. In some cases, they look, you know, genius. And Suning, with the path that they took, first G2 and their group, they dropped a game against Team Liquid where they went too far in that end, where they picked the Jace, the Senna and the Graves and the enemy just locked in the freest small fight uh, of their life and Team Liquid uh, took a game. And then against JDG. JDG also a team that uh, doesn't shy away from putting themselves in skill check situations. We saw that in the matchup against Damwon in both games. And also in the finals between them and Top Esports. If you want to put a region under one specific umbrella, it would be this characteristic that it's very, very high activity with a lower sense of precision. And Suning end up being ahead because of how individually strong they are. And for those that have been following my world's content, I put Suning as a dark horse to win it all because of what they were able to showcase as individuals in specific games during the regular splits and also in the playoffs. There were things that I saw from SOFM or Bin or Huang Fang in moments that seemed and was, in fact, brilliant. They did things that showcased to me that these players have a very, very high ceiling if they find a sense of consistency. They had games where things looked horrible and they couldn't piece it together. But now the meta is in a place where individuality is rewarded due to the nature of junglers being very, very busy almost for the entire game. We saw that in Suning vs. Top Esports, spending time to, to break down a bin in a 1v1 matchup was effort that uh, in a lot of cases couldn't be spared from the jungle. Junglers are very, very busy. So you get to see more interactions in the 2v2s and the 1v1s that sometimes we wouldn't be able to see in uh, the regular season. So this meta has been kind of the perfect storm for Suning that they needed to really, really highlight their strengths. So they, in a lot of the games they play, they get absurd leads, SFM with very, very clever jungle pathing. I think in terms of pure jungling, if we just look at jungle, like let's say how good you jungle was like a stat that the player had, then I probably think SFM is, is the highest one in the world. His vision for what camps are spawning and how to be 
very very efficient and squeeze you know water out of stone is truly something that uh, I admire and um, I think the best example for those who want to dig deeper into this is uh, you know you can check out my review of game number trying to remember I think game number four uh, possibly or maybe game number five no I'm saying the wrong numbers Suning versus G2 SOFM played Graves against Yankos and Lilia. Lilia was 3-0 ahead. This was uh, Angel on Akali, this particular game. And um, this was been Gangplank game. So that was okay. Now, now, now we went to, uh, uh, you know, uh, now we know uh, which game I'm talking about. The Bin uh, battle game. What SOFM did that game was, was insane. Really, really insane. He was finding camps where most junglers wouldn't find camps and uh, was keeping track of the timings super super well so uh, if you want to uh, go deeper into this particular sub subject i would go check out that game because that game considering Lele being 3-0 looked kind of grim but uh, he really had Yankos's number and Yankos didn't know how to convert against uh, Suning in that moment in time So we're talking about individual strength, bin, individual lane is super, super good. The three top laners that he had to go through in order to get here was 369, Zoom, and Wunder. Three top laners that I ranked super, super high. You know, you can make the argument that JDG and Top Esports uh, heavily, well, underperformed. But... Some of the things that Bin managed to do against the 369s, uh, whom I have a lot of respect for, uh, was dirty. Getting away with, you know, just snowballing Jack's matchup from level 1. I don't know who to blame here. Just Bin was willing to take that chance and uh, 369 just didn't deliver. But 369 is also someone that, uh, you know, struggles in terms of, uh, you know, consistency. There's a, a running meme, I don't know if you know it. That, uh, you know, you either get a 3, you either get a 6, or you either get a 9. And um, it seemed like Topis was rolling uh, constant 3s uh, in uh, that best of 5 that they played. Will that continue for Bin? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. A big issue for Suning, looking at it from a holistic point of view, because that's what we're starting with, is that um, they really really struggle when it comes to macro intensive moments in the game so in a lot of cases they have absurd leads sofm absurd absurd lead bin absurd lead even sometimes Huang Fang and angel absurd leads you know individually they are very very uh, fun to watch but there's been many cases where they are super far ahead and the way they execute on nd the game is kind of dirty so I mentioned the Bin Gangplank game already. That was a game where they were 10k gold ahead and had Nashers, but they kept getting caught. Kept getting caught because they just didn't know how to finish the game and they were uh, running around like a headless chicken. Uh, barring this headless chicken was so muscly and strong that it didn't matter how he was swinging because of how far ahead they were. I don't know if that analogy makes sense. So think of a headless chicken, but it's buff as all hell and it can beat you know, other chickens with heads. I'm going to move on. 
in the game, Bin managed to save the game. Senna was approaching 200 souls in that game. And on paper, they were in a losing position. I believe G2 even got Infernal Soul, and all they needed to do was retreat and and find, you know, fighting ground where Gangplank couldn't get the flank that he got. And Ben did something incredible. He managed to barrel, barrel, auto. He got pushed, W, E, Q the E, didn't get cancelled. Q was beautifully timed. Double barrel, both Senna and Syndra. So you could say, Ben, wow, that was amazing. But to get to that point in the first place is something that uh, is important to remember. Same thing against top esports. So you had the Jacks game, game number four. That was a game where they were incredibly far ahead. But macro-wise, it, they really, really struggled. So if you want specific details, it's like crashing waves at the right time, lane assignments, uh, keeping uh, an eye ahead, like un basically understanding what is necessary for them to win. So basically like, okay, we need next Nasher to be able to break the enemy Nexus, right? Maybe we need next Drake in order to, you know, get soul, and then we're going to win. That outlook is definitely missing for Sunni. And uh, they've gotten away with it in a lot of games due to how far ahead they are in the early game. And this is something that might potentially backfire and matter when Suning find themselves ahead against the likes of Damwon. Damwon, from a holistic point of view, what, what they do so well is, I think, as I mentioned, they are very, very good at recognizing what is the goal in the game to put them in a winning position. The phrase winning position is very important. Let's say... You have 51% over 49% chance of winning uh, due to uh, an advantage that you have. The best analogy is down one are looking for ways to be ahead one pawn and then they're trying to push that pawn victory uh, all the way uh, to the end. The moment down one feel like they're in a winning position, they lower their level of activity and make themselves as precise as humanly possible. A good example is Damon versus G2 game 3. So that game they had a composition with the Lulu into the Akali, enemy had Sion and Kindred, and um, they had, uh, you know, the tricky thing about G2's composition is they had Pantheon, Sion, Akali, a lot of champions that can cover a lot of distance. So what are you thinking? You know, you're facing up against G2. What are they so good at? They're so very good at finding skirmishes. They're very good at, you know, uh, creating fights where the enemy shouldn't be fighting at all. And what Damwon did, the moment they were in a winning position, they starved their ash off of gold. This game, of course, Mickey was running it down the Pantheon, and he was giving the ash a lot of kills, so it wasn't too bad for the ash. But... They made the sacrifice because they didn't want to find themselves in a position where they get caught out on side. They recognize that the only path to victory for G2 is this, and if we fight around objectives and we fight compact, the Akali, the Sion, uh, the Pantheon is not going. They're, they're just not going to do anything at all to us in a team fight because we have the Lulu, 
We are the ones with the Leona. We have the Ash Syndra. We can kite. We can keep our distance. Akari is not going to put anyone in kill range. And we also prevent Jito from pulling us into a situation where we play their game. Sure, you could say, you know, you could review that game and say, wow, Ash could have probably formed an, an additional wave here. There's a little window. There's more space to, to claim. But they limited the amount of risk and recognized you know, in moments that they are in a winning position, that it takes, they just choose to take fewer decisions that are going to lead them to a winning position. Sure, there could be a world where something like this backfires, where you give the enemy team uh, room to think, but it hasn't been challenged so far. It hasn't been challenged so far, and I struggle to imagine anyone challenging that. Another good example is game number two. Game number two, Daman was actually very far behind. Instead of looking to play precise, which in a lot of cases, uh, my example of another precise team was was Team Liquid. When Team Liquid is behind, they don't they don't they didn't know how to raise the level of activity. When I'm talking about raising the level of activity and lowering your position, is trying more spontaneous moves, camping in bushes, finding fights and looking for ways to break the mold and the patterns of the game. So if we look at that game two, that G2 actually won. Sure, they won. But it's a good example that highlights that Daman in such positions recognize that, oh, we are down maybe a piece. So in chess, maybe they say you're down a piece. But let's say it's a blitz game, right? Let's say it's a blitz game. And um, you begin to create chaos in the position in order to make the enemy blunder. This is what Daman does. This is what a lot of teams do, right? This is what G2 does super well. This is what a lot of the LPL teams do, is that they are causing chaos and that forces, in a lot of cases, a lot of mistakes. But if the person that is being challenged by this is recognizing that this is happening, standing tall is going to be you know, winning in a lot of cases. But it's easier said than done. Because in the end, the only team that has managed to do this beautifully at a very, very high level is Damwon. That's what makes them so impressive. They recognize when they need to raise activity and lower their precision. They recognize when they have to raise the precision and lower the, the activity, lower the amount of decisions they need to make. G2 is the other way around. They, they, they play at this level of activity and this level of precision always. A lot of the LPL teams function like this too. Right? And then, of course, uh, it varies depending on game state and depending on the team. This is just you know a very easy way of, uh, of describing things. You know, It's just uh, the, the scale of precision activity. And then you have the other side where Team Liquid is a very precise team. When they're ahead, in a lot of cases, they, they, they win. They end up winning even against the best teams like Suning. But... If they're behind, there is going to be a serious lack of creativity coming from Team Liquid's side. I hope this concept is is clear to you and why Daman is so unique. I wouldn't call them, you know, the classic, you know, classic LCK team because that's not really the case. They are willing to raise activity and they're willing to play fast and loose if necessary. That's the key word, if necessary. And Daman as a team, they are willing to play uh, through all lanes. They are willing to, in draft, adapt 
to what the enemy throws at you. So in the moment Akali gets locked in, they're looking to look into Lulu. And that shifts the whole game plan into, oh, we need to play towards uh, bottom side most likely. Right? Need to play into bottom side, we need to look to to play through other avenues. And this is what's so amazing about that one is that they are very the, the, the team recognizes the goal behind their composition. Everyone's aligning and really, really supporting that same goal. There's no disconnect. If there's a key champion that is going to win the game, everyone is doing the right sacrifice in order to push this champion ahead, which is super, super cool. Very, very exciting and and honestly what makes Damon so, so dangerous. If you look at Suning, sure, they can, they can find ways to play through most lanes, but a lot of their advantages comes from individual brilliance. And individual brilliance can only take you so far. You know, if we look at history and we try to uh, describe Suning uh, in the light of a different team that we recognize, then probably the closest 2018 IG. But IG, when it came down to the macro game, mid to late game, they are very, very precise too, or they were very, very precise too. And that is something that Suning is currently lacking. In terms of draft preparation, I began to touch on this and how Damwon really, really are, you know, they are willing to pick the champion that counters the theme of the enemy's champions and then adjust how they need to approach the game depending on what the draft shows them. While Suning is a team that in a lot of cases focus on comfort, which in many moments allows you to showcase your individual skill even further. We have the Jarvan preference, we have the, the Jax and the Leona for Sword Art. There are some champions that stand up. Hong Fong on his Ezreal and Jin. Angel on his Akali is looking quite crispy. Right? And these are things that uh, I think in the end comfort only gets you so far. Sure, there could be a world where Ben continues his streak of domination and he just beats down on the Guri too, which is probably what is going to be necessary in order for Suning to win. SOFM, the same uh, same deal here towards the canyon. But as I'm saying these names, you begin to recognize why everyone believes that uh, Daman is favored in this matchup. And while Suning made a name for themselves by beating other favorites in this tournament, JGG and Top Esports had a lot of question marks around them. G2 the same way. They are great on paper teams and I was excited for them and I rated them super, super highly. I thought for the longest time that Top Esports was going to be our world champion. I have no uh, shame in admitting that. But... The tournament performance was very, very iffy. Dropping two games to Fnatic, JTG looking sloppy and losing against uh, Paris Saint-Germain, and then, of course, winning against the Dama, but that, that game was meaningless. So you could uh, say what you want about that game. It's hard to, to judge it on, on face value. But now they're facing a Damwon which has very little question marks. You can always say about a team that is very dominant that they haven't been tested, but they're at the World Finals. If they haven't been tested by now, then, you know, 
Maybe there's no test. Maybe. Keyword maybe. Suning could continue this trend. So if we look at the top lane matchup, Nuguri has shown immense flexibility. Crazy good form. I think he's playing better at this World Championship than he played even in the regular split. And the man has had a collapsed, collapsed lung. He is peaking at the right time. Down one is peaking at the right time, which is incredible. Incredible. Nuguri, very different champion pool for in comparison to, of course, you know, Bin. Bin is uh, both of them play GP, both of them play Camille, but he has a preference of the Jaxes and the Wukong. Uh, Nuguri is more of a Jace play, but he hasn't shown that at uh, the World Championship. Bin can also play Jace, let's be fair. Even Ben actually showed it at the World Championship. But Noguri can do the Lulus, he can do the Cannons, he can do the Orns. So Ben is the, the selfish individual player, while Noguri has showcased a lot of fantastic team fight moments. I think Damon is going to win out where team play is necessary. And I think in most... Most games, team play is going to be necessary, especially at this level. At this level, it's no longer about, you know, the 1v1 matchup or in the mid or top. It's more about the 2v2s and the 3v3s and how the map interacts with itself. And Nuguri is someone that can stand tall against someone like Bin. The key thing is that, in my eyes, that one has shown a lot more depth in uh, the top lane. Now we know that Jax is the secret weapon of Ben, and also that uh, you know the coin flip is going to matter. I think Red Side is going to be very, very powerful uh, for uh, both teams because counter pick is going to be so important for top, uh, not top esports, just top lane. But I think while Ben might be able to show something where isolation is important. I think Nuguri and any aspect that, uh, you know, working together with his jungler, playing in team fights, preparing for dragons, using his champion pool to support the goal and the idea of the game, I think Nuguri wins out here. And I think that's the story from almost every matchup if we uh, run down the board. I think the same thing for us, SOFM and Canyon. I think Canyon, better at uh, recognizing how the map state impacts his decisions. He is willing to slow down his own tempo in order to win something else elsewhere. If so, if there's a bad trade that happens, if something that goes wrong, I think Canyon is very, very quick to adapt himself and willing to play very, very different um, paces, maybe that's the right word, in a different pace, depending on what the game needs. While SOFM is a great pure jungler, right? Very good at efficiency, pathing, finding, you know, camps where there should be no camps. And uh, I think Canyon has a very, very clear view of how he needs to impact the lanes and how he needs to play together with others. And this is not to say that Canyon paths bad or is inefficient. No, no, not at all. And it's also not me saying SOFM that he doesn't understand map state or doesn't play for his laners or something like this. No, no, no. There are a lot of cases where Sword Art and SFM are, are uh, playing together and moving together. But I'm just trying to highlight the slight differences. In the end, these two junglers are here in the final. 
and uh, they happen to be uh, you know the best in their position at this world championship same thing can be said for the top laners mid lane the tricky thing about mid lane is just um, you know we've had two brackets and the meta has been very very different on both sides and um, the lack of twisted fate uh, that's a that's a pun. It wasn't intentional. The lack of twisted fate uh, has been is is quite concerning, right? So showmaker already from the get go. You know, if you think about draft, twisted fate is something that needs to be considered. They need to potentially also look to ban Orn. Are they going to ban twisted fate and Orn? Um, all of a sudden, you're in a tricky spot, and um, that already creates a significant advantage for that one. I think. Also, when it comes to mid lane, I know a lot of people are very excited about Angel due to his Akali performance. He heavily outperformed Knight, uh, but I think uh, basically in game four, I think in the other games, uh, Knight definitely made a name for himself. I, I, I don't think, you know, I can't agree at all when people come to me and ask, yeah, is Knight, you know, is he getting the Dade Award uh, this year? And I think that's very, very. I guess that's very silly to me. You know, the meta is not about mid laners, and against Fnatic, he, he smurfed it, and also against Suning, I think he was uh, the shining light, except in Game Four, where Carso was the shining light, or Jackie Love most of the time just uh, ran it down in the series. But I think in this matchup, Angel versus Showmaker, I give the slight edge to to Showmaker. I think he has just shown better depth. And I think that matters. I think Angel is very strong mechanically and is exactly what his team needs. You know, just someone that is solid and consistent. And I think Angel is exactly that. You never see him, you know, sort of losing the game unless it's against Mickey X's Bard and it happens to be the first game on stage. He's solid, solid. And plays a mean Akali. But so does Showmaker. I know people might forget uh, Showmaker's Akali, but... It is quite nasty. And I think just the Twisted Fate thing is is, is a big edge. And Showmaker Syndra is also so deadly uh, that uh, I have to give the edge to, to Showmaker. Bottom side, I think um, Huang Fong has had um, more, you know, monster moments, you know. Uh, but I think uh, partially because of this, I, I think the playstyle of both teams also allow uh, a lot more of this to happen for Huang Fong. But in terms of AD carries, I, I, I don't think the difference is that huge. I think there's going to be a large focus on Ezreal. I think a lot of teams have recognized that Ezreal is definitely a winner. I feel like uh, Ghost has definitely figured out what he wants to play. You know, Jin, Ash, Caitlyn. We'll have to see how the Ezreal prior progresses. Maybe Ezreal is something that they're going to ban uh, specifically against Huang Fong, I w it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, to remove that from the pool uh, definitely uh, puts Ghost in a more favorable favorable position. And also Ezreal is kind of jack the jack of all trades, where he never finds himself in a position where he's a bad champion, unless the enemy has uh, maybe uh, Samira, Maokai, Yasuo. I don't know. I, I can't really realistically think of a composition that is you know, super good into Ezreal because of the nature of the champion. It's very long range, has dashes. You know, it's a poke champion with a dash on a very low cooldown and uh, has very cheap items. You know, there's very, very little drawback 
to picking Ezreal besides the fact that in a lot of matchups he doesn't get prior early. And that can be very meaningful in some games. But Ezreal could be a potential ban. We move on. Supports. I think also champion pool here is a question. Leona Pryo has gone through the roof and uh, Suning have gone so far to pick uh, Leona even in first three. We saw a lot of Leona fourth pick. And um, Swordars shouldn't be allowed to get more Leona. You know, Barrow also plays a mean Leona, but what comes next, right? There is Bard, there is Pantheon, all of these champions that are very, very, you know, strong early, good at roaming, good at impacting fights. This is what we uh, see in these champions. And there is a massive shared champion pool here. Uh, and uh, the question is what is going to happen to Leona? I think Leona Pryor is going to be through the roof because the counters to Leona, like, let's say, you know, people are going to think about Trash. Trash is something that you can outplay with, you know? You can outplay a, a Trash with Leona. You know, the, the matchup has developed. Same thing for Morgana. There are ways for Leona to, to outplay it. And I can't really go in depth uh, to it now. It's just there's a reason why these champions are not being necessarily locked in instantly against these uh, the Leona. And uh, that's super, super tricky. I think Leona is just super, super powerful. Uh, very good into uh, the other champions that we mentioned, the Bard and, and the Pantheon. Sure, Bard and Pantheon can play the matchup, but it's very dangerous. Pantheon, if he doesn't get ahead against Leona... He has one less target to, to all-in, because if he all-ins Leona, he just kind of dies. Same thing with Bard. Can find opportunities against Leona, maybe with the Ezreal lane, but it's tricky. It's difficult. So all in all, Leona Prize is going to be through the roof. I think for both sides. Finally, everyone's going to ask for my prediction. I think with all of the things that I've mentioned so far, uh, the only reasonable thing for me to to predict is uh, Damon Gaming 3-0. There are intangibles, right? Intangibles, things that are going to be difficult to measure. For example, the impact of a live audience. This is not something that uh, both of these teams have seen in a long time. In the story of their progression and getting better, the thing that we mentioned at the, the beginning of uh, this um, introduction, they, their story of ramping up and getting better was during a time with no crowd. It is, of course, all wishy-washy speculating. I could be looking into the stars because I'm not, I don't know them personally. I don't know what's going on in their mind. So I can't really tell. But it's something that is interesting to raise as a question. If there's a dip in performance, maybe this could be a reason. Playing in front of a live audience, in some cases, has an impact. Could be positive, could be negative, could be non-existent. It is just one of those things that are intangible. And both these teams, you know, in some cases, you know for a fact it's not going to make a difference. You know, not for a fact, but you, you, you. There's the odds can be higher for a team that has played in front of big crowds and delivered in front of big crowds to be able to, you know, do well. And I'm looking at Daman last year. They were very dominant in scrims. And that's, you know, you can measure that and, and, and equate that to whatever you want. But their stage performance didn't necessarily 
showcase uh, a similar level as to what people saw in scrims. And that can be for a variety of issues as well. Uh, as, as I mentioned, we're getting into wishy-washy territory. And also, you know, another intangible is that uh, Suning have made, you know, they played against JDG and Toby Esports. And I haven't looked at the pro views, but there were some things that were really, really shit for the high test. You know, shit. Like, you, like you could, you could look at the scoreline and say, "Wow, Suning are really, really amazing. They beat tournament favorites, JDG, Toby Esports. This is these are teams that Yamato hyped." But there were some things that Three Six Nine did that are just unacceptable. There are things that Jackie Love did that are just unacceptable, right? And that, to me, I can't tie to the same expectations that I had for Top Esports and JDG. It's incredible what Sony has accomplished so far. I don't want to take anything away from that. But in the comparison of Suning versus Damwon, just because the storyline has been that they've slayed other tournament favorites, no one has shown and delivered on that promise of being a tournament favorite as much as Damwon have. So naturally... I think anyone that is going to predict with their mind is going to lean towards Damon. If you're predicting with your heart, then I can understand that falling in love with the Sunning story, it's natural. You know, the story of how they've gotten to the place where they are today for Huang Fang and, and the other players is just amazing. It's beautiful. It's written, you know, by... By the gods, you know, it's a it's a beautiful story, and um, if the stars align, which they could, you know, on the day they could, and maybe you know, maybe JDG just uh, crumbled under the pressure that is Suning. Maybe Topis was also crumbled under the pressure that is Suning, and maybe Suning will make Damon also look terrible. Maybe, but my mind is filling me with doubt. So Damon 3-0 is my prediction. I hope you're going to enjoy the show. I'm going to be on the World's Analyst Desk. We're going to, of course, review the games afterwards and learn as much as possible from the series. As a fan, I hope that um, the game and the series, pretty much, is going to deliver us to five games because the more games I get to watch, the more I get to digest and the happier I am. Because uh, coming into season 11, the game is going to be completely different. I think this 10-year anniversary definitely, you know, signifies new beginnings coming into next year. I have to admit, you know, this is maybe not the best video to do it, but I'm worried that Wild Rift will become bigger than League of Legends. And maybe that's for the better. But mobile games, it's I, I've done very light research, and I'm saying very light, uh, yeah, like super, super light, yeah. And um, mobile gaming is massive; the market is crazy. That's why Blizzard said, "Lul, you don't have phones," you know, because phone gaming is is crazy. The market is nuts. I'm going to play Wild Rift. You know, mobile gaming is probably not like my my main thing, but maybe Wild Rift is going to become bigger, bigger than League of Legends. Could happen. Maybe 
these items that are coming in are going to change the game so much that it alienates uh, players that have taken a break and they come back and everything is new and confusing. Because for me, looking at these items, it is uh, quite confusing. And the only reason I brought this up is because you know this World Championship could be you know the last of um, you know this era so to speak season 11 and onwards things might look very very different but maybe not maybe not once again just speculation tell me in the comments below uh, what you guys think for a prediction are you following your heart are you following your mind do you believe in Darwin? do you believe in Sunning? And not to say, you know, uh, I, I made the distinction very as clearly as I possibly could. There are some people that have that one in their heart, understandably so. Very, very lovable characters too. Uh, Ashley Kang and in her interviews uh, bring out the best uh, uh, of the players. And they have fantastic storylines too. Like even I here mentioned alone, Noguri had a damn collapse long before he flew to, to, to China. Which is mad. Mad, I tell you. All in all, I'll catch you guys on the analyst desk. Thank you so much for watching. Bless you and bless your face if you sneezed during this video. Bless you. Have a wonderful weekend. We're going to continue the stream just like always. Goodbye, ladies and gentlemen on YouTube.